we continue on with parts of the Gospel of Mark as part of our lectionary. Jesus called the crowds with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us, thanks be to God. If anyone wants to become my follower, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I have to start by telling you that I'm not at all satisfied with what I'm about to say. I'm deeply dissatisfied with what I wrote in the Clayton this week, if you happen to have had a chance to read it. Because I feel like I don't want to deal with this text. And I feel like that when I do, I'm shaving off the insult and the horror that it is. Kind of the two ways we normally do with texts like this is either we pass by them in a sort of embarrassed, guilty silence because it appears to be calling for something well beyond what any of us are willing to give. We don't know what to do with it. Or we kind of dumb it down by saying, well, it's everyone has a cross to bear. Each of us have to suffer things that we sometimes tell others and we sometimes don't. Some of us have physical illnesses that are not obvious and yet they cause us a great deal of pain and those things are real. We all have suffering in our relationships and those things are real and they're the cross that we have to bear but... That's not at all what this text is about, is it? And while those things may be true and we ought to be kind and gentle with each other, that wonderful saying that has all kinds of attributions, no one knows where it comes from. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting the great battle. It's a deeply wonderful, powerful saying. But again, that's not what this text is about. This text is about a thing called a cross. This image here, the Mark Chagall white crucifixion, it's about a cross. It's about living in the time of the Roman Empire when the cross was the preeminent tool of control and oppression. If you don't do as you're told, this is what happens to you. And if you're not sure about that, in, that in front of every major town that you would go into anywhere in the Roman Empire, and the, along the road would be lined up with crosses, with bodies on them in various states of agony or decay. 
When Jesus says, to be a follower, you must deny yourself and take up the cross, that's exactly what he appears to be saying. No wonder one of the Gospels says, after this they heard and a lot of them left. Of course they did. Why wouldn't they? This is insanity. So we have to try and unpack it and figure out, do we just leave it alone or is there something in it that we can find useful in our time? We have no overt evil power to confront. We are not living in 1938 in France, in Paris, where Chagall painted this image. We're not living in Afghanistan. And we're thankful to God that we're not. We're a different kind of world. We could read this as, if you are following me, you will have to actively leave behind your given sense of self and actively confront and not protect yourself from the powers that control the world. Let me read that again because this is my this is my take on it. And I gave the disclaimer at the beginning, I'm really not satisfied with this at all. I'm just trying to find a way that I can live with this text, not ignore it and find some value in it that I can take forward in the life that I live. If you are about following me, you will have to actively leave behind your given sense of self and actively confront and not protect yourself from the power that controls the world. Let me try and unpack this a bit. In the ancient world, identity was given to you. Your identity was based in your clan and in your family. And it's not actually that far from the life that we live. My dad is 10 years older than his, uh, sorry, 10 years younger than his late brother Jack. And when Jack first began working uh, at, at 15 and 16, my dad was five and six, he got a job and he stuck with that job until they had to sack him. He was on the railways, he was a signal operator and the reason they sacked him is because he was colour blind. And they couldn't, and they did brought in tests and they said, well, how on earth are you doing this? He said, well, I've just remembered all the signals, I've just memorised them. And they looked at him and even though he'd done a sterling job all those years, they said, well, you know, the rules are and, you know, blah, 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 you can't do this job anymore. It devastated him. So then he got a job in the power industry and this is in South Wales where they were building big power stations and he stayed in the power industry until he, until he retired. He only ever had two jobs. My dad, on the other hand, 10 years later, I should say the reason my Uncle Jack went into the railways is because their dad was in the railways and that's what you did. There was no... And my, and my Uncle Jack had told me many years later, he said it, it never occurred to him to have a thought about what he might like to do. How many kids do you know that, well, the first question you ask them when they're in high school is, what do you want to do with your life? That never occurred to my Uncle Jack. It would never have occurred to Jesus or any of his disciples. That was an insane question. Because we already know what you're going to do with your life because your identity is given to you. But ten years later, that had already begun to change, at least for my dad. Because he started to think about what job he wanted to do and he went into plumbing and then... He, and by the time... I came along, my dad had had about six different jobs, which my uncle Jack thought was terrible. That, Like, what kind of a wastrel is my brother for having five or six different jobs in the first few years of his life? We wouldn't 
be concerned about that. And in fact, now we might be concerned if somebody was in the same job year in, year out, year in. Are they not very, have much initiative? Are they sort of a bit stuck? Do we really want to employ them if they're just going to keep doing the same? Things shifted. In the ancient world, your identity was given to you. In our world, your identity is something we have to construct. And we see this with, I don't know how many young people you know, but the young people I'm in touch with that I have conversations with frequently, they're dealing with a different kind of world. Even around the issues that we thought were set, you were either heterosexual in the world I grew up in, or you were deviant. There were the two choices. And if you were deviant, you kept it to yourself. It's a terrible life to have to lead. We're not living in that world now. In fact, we're living in the world where if you ask some young people, and I've tried this out in the last couple of weeks to, to, uh, to kind of check whether I'm right or not. If, if you ask some young people, is your friend A or B, are they gay? Is that person a lesbian? A lot more young people now will look at you and go, I don't understand the question. What, what, why are you, it's like asking, is that person left-handed? What's, what's that got to do with anything? 200 years ago, if you were left-handed, you were an instrument of the devil. Now, if you went to an employer and the first question they ask is, are you right-handed or left-handed? You would think, eh, I don't think I want to work here. These people are crazy. You know, things have shifted. And you, so we've now got young people who, for whom the idea of whether you are gay or straight or bisexual or all the other possibilities is not something that is given to you. It's something that you have to construct for yourself, which seems to me exhausting. Because you have to do everything. You not only have to think about what sort of study do you want to do, trying to imagine what kind of job will be available at the end of it, which it seems impossible at the moment. I'd hate to be a career counsellor. Um, and not only that, but you have to figure out what kind of life you want to live. What kind of people do you want to live it with? What kind of group do you want to gather around? What kind of music do you want to have uh, that identifies who you are? What kind of clothes do you want to wear? What kind of sexuality do you have? So if you know any young people, give them a break because it's a real struggle. But it's not unlike the story that we have to tell ourselves. Our world is not given to us. We have to construct it. There was an ad a few years ago, a big banner ad selling cars, one of the big car manufacturers, and it said on it, for the most important person in the world. That's all it said. If that ad had been up in Jesus' time, they would have said, why are they advertising something for the emperor? Or, or for the gods? Like, that doesn't make any sense. We, we don't need to have anything written after that. We know who that person is. It's me. I'm the one who deserves the brand new car because of all the hard work I've done and all the other rubbish that car manufacturers give us. I deserve to go off into the Flinders Ranges smiling and riding around in dust and all that stuff. We have to construct our life. So what does it mean for us, this idea that you have to pick up your cross, as it were? Are we willing to imagine that our life could construct around being people of the way, which is the way the early Christians called themselves? See, because Jesus then goes on to kind of clarify what he's saying. He says, for those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. Now, there's two ways that the word that we translate as life is translated uh, in, in Greek, and we may have missed some sort of wordplay here. 
because it means both the physical life and the kind of deeper emotional, spiritual, soul, psyche, whatever language we want to give it at the same time. So we could read it this way. For whoever may wish to save one's existence will in that time destroy their true essence of who they are. And whoever may destroy one's existence because of me will find their true essence. Whoever wants to save their existence, the most important thing is the way I appear to everybody else. The best job, the best education, the best family, the best clothes, whatever. That's the important thing. Jesus is saying, if you do that, you will lose the essence of who you are. What the Franciscan monk uh, um, Richard Raw calls the immortal diamond of you. The essence of who you are. But if you're willing to abandon, or in this, if you're willing to ignore or destroy or just abandon your physical existence, if that's if you're willing to let that not be the most important thing, you may discover your true essence. This is, follow, this is given to us as an example later in this gospel. There's only two times the word deny and denial are used in the whole of the New Testament. One is here, the, the second time is at the end of the gospel of Mark where Peter denies Jesus. Jesus says, this is going to happen. Peter says, oh, no, it's not. I'm not going to deny you. I'm, I, I'm going to stick with you, even if these blokes don't. Just, in, just to clarify that I'm, I'm really the sticker. The, I don't know about these guys. But of course he does. The first time he denies Jesus, he seems to abandon something central to who he is. He says to the woman who says, aren't you one of them with the Galileans? He says, oh, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. Maybe he does it. Maybe he's lost something. And then the second time, he doesn't say anything. He just ignores it and moves away. And then the third time, he says, I do not know this man that you are talking about. This is the man who is said in many times in the gospel, I've given my life to. I'm one of the followers. He's changed his entire life to be a part of the Jesus movement. And now he says... I have no idea who this man is. Peter has lost the essence of who he is. It's the kind of reverse. Jesus says, you do need to deny. And Peter does deny, but he denies the wrong thing. In order to save his physical existence, so that he isn't arrested along with Jesus, he denies what he knows deep in his soul and his heart is true for him. And he's lost. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know who this man is. He's completely and utterly lost. It's not a great place to stop. But that's surely the illustration we're being offered by this use of deny and denial. The only other time in the New Testament. Like I said, I'm not real happy with this. I, 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 there's more here than, I, than I'm willing to do or willing to appreciate or willing to have the courage to confront. But whoever may wish to save one's existence will destroy their true essence. For what is it worth to gain everything 
in the world and lose the essence, the psyche, the soul, the spirit of who you are. Well, we know the answer to that. But whoever may destroy, whoever may abandon, whoever may ignore, whoever may just let it go, their physical existence, because of me, following Jesus, will find their true essence. I think I'll have to stop there before we... Good luck. This is hard. Good luck and, and God bless us as we try and let this percolate into our lives. Thanks, Ashley.